0: Welcome to this week's podcast from Oceans Church in Orange County. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. For more information, please visit our website at theoceanschurch.com. It's Genesis 45, verse 1. Then Joseph, uh, just to give you background real quick. Joseph is 39 years old when we read this passage. He was 17 when he had a dream. He spent 13 years in pits, in prisons, and in slavery. And after this 13-year period, the most powerful man in the world promotes him to be the number two most powerful person in the world. And then he has seven years of crazy favor, from 30 to 37, that the greatest uh, economy to ever hit the earth struck Egypt. He was the leader during that time, so everyone loved Joseph. And then two years after that, the next two years, Worst, the worst recession and depression that's ever hit the earth, probably, was, was going on. And two years into that recession and depression, his brothers, who at 17 years of age, threw him into a pit, threatened to murder him, actually encounter their brother, don't recognize him. So what we're getting ready to read was actually 22 years in the making. Are you following me? He's 39 years old. So it picks up reading that Joseph realizes his brothers are there before him. And he could no longer restrain himself in front of them as they stood by him. And he began to cry out. And he said, make everyone, talking to the servants in the room, everybody get out of the room except my brothers. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud. And everyone, all of the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. Joseph said to his brothers, watch this, please. He says, please come near me. So they came near, and he said this, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But now, I love this, do not be grieved or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here, for God sent me. God, come on, sent me. Highlight that in your Bible, before you to preserve life. For these two years of famine have come in the land, and there's still five more years ahead, there's not going to be any plowing or harvesting, and God sent me. Before you to preserve a posterity for you and all the earth and save the lives by great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and a lord to all of his house and the ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Hurry up now and go tell father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all of Egypt. Come down And do not tarry quickly. You shall dwell in the land of, someone say, Goshen. Pause here. Goshen was the best part. It was the Laguna Beach of all of Egypt. It was prime real estate. He said, tell dad he's moving to Orange County. Come on. (laughs) And he says this. He goes on. He says, uh, come down to Goshen, and I'm going to take care of, of you and your children and your children's children, your flocks and your herds and all that you have. Therefore, I will provide for you, lest you and your household and all that you have come to poverty, for there's still five more severe years of famine. I want to talk to you today about being uh, our living on, on, on purpose. Someone say on purpose. Try it out. Say on purpose. Let's pray this morning together. It's going to be a good time today. Lord, we just thank you for the opportunity to be at Oceans Church. Week number 12. We ask, Lord, that today you do something significant. Three months into this journey, I ask you that you would meet us where we are. I pray whether we're atheist, agnostic, if we're somewhere else religiously, that, God, you would meet us where we are today. Show us how good you are. And, God, if we do love you, I pray that you would water us with your kindness. We love you, God. I pray you bless today. And, God, continue to bless the Los Angeles Lakers. In Jesus' name. Come on, all the Christians said amen. Come on, amen, amen. Who's ever been overwhelmed? overwhelmed. Come on, some people right now are overwhelmed to respond to that question. (laughs) You ever been overwhelmed? I think one of the most overwhelming places to be on earth is a grocery store in the card section. Can we all agree that the, the card section is too big? I just want to point out that there is way too many variations of cards. And I also want to say, if you've ever gotten a card from me, I really love you. I like the card section of, of stores kind of like I like the hospital. It's just not a place I like to hang out. But, uh, I, you know, incidentally, you have to go to get cards. You know, if you're a good husband, a good father, a good pastor, a, a good person, you're going to get cards, all types of cards for all different types of occasions. And uh, I think it's funny that you go to the card section, you get overwhelmed. It's just stressful. Blood pressure rises, right? And there's just the variations just out of control these days, there used to be just birthday cards, anniversary cards, maybe get well, or an encouragement card. Now, there's, you can go to a card store and actually find a, uh, a religious, vegan, CrossFitter birthday card. You can find a congratulations card for triplets that just got baptized at church. The variations in the card section is a little bit out of control, I got to say. And I want to know the guy that invented the blank card. That guy wakes up every morning laughing. What do you do for a living? I sell creases. Can you imagine that all you do is take a picture of something, put it in a card section, and you're charging money for a piece of folded paper. It's crazy. We have this card just out of control card section. It's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. And I I always like to make, you know, make my point that I'm looking for a a funny card. Who likes humorous cards? And my goal every year is to make my wife awkwardly laugh. Come on. For our anniversary or birthday. And my brother-in-law is one of my favorite people. I always get him like, you know, like older people, like 99 plus year old cards that are funny for his birthday. And, uh, I just like getting funny cards. But, uh, I think one of my favorite things to do is get just because cards and just send them to random strangers. And they can't even ask you why you're sending it. Just because. But there's so many variations of cards. I think one of the greatest things to do in the card section, because it is so daunting and overwhelming, is you have to keep remembering who it was that sent you in there. I think the only way to avoid a panic attack, a nervous breakdown, in the card section of Walmart or Target is to keep in mind, okay, as I'm looking at all of these variations, all of these crazy options, you ever notice there's just rows and rows and rows of cards? It's like, how do you choose the right card? And I've learned the secret of choosing the right card is remembering the person you're buying it for. Are you tracking with me today? The only way you can wade through all the minutiae of options and all the crazy, uh, you know, possibilities in the card section is if you obsess over who is it that, I'm, that brought me to this place in my life? Who is the person I, that's responsible for getting me out of my comfort zone, getting me out of what I like to be in, in a place I don't like to be in, looking at random cards or folded pieces of paper? Who is my target audience to please? I actually believe that, that if you realize who sent you to this part of your life right now, that purpose flows when you remember who sent you here. Purpose in life flows when you realize who brought you to this point in your life. And I actually believe that the, the fulfillment in life comes when you start obsessing over the purpose of the person that brought you where you are. Okay, so Joseph, I love this, he's 39 years old, and I love that three, on three different occasions, three different occasions, Joseph tells his brothers, uh, it wasn't you that sent me here, it was God. You tried to do evil to me, you threw me in a pit, you threatened to murder me, but don't get mad at yourselves, because it wasn't you that put me in the pit, and I'm pretty sure they were like, but it was. But I love the fact that in, listen to what I've learned in, in my life in 35, uh, 34 years, 35 in two weeks, look like I'm 33 though still, right? Come on, can I get an amen in the church? 30, 34 years of living, I've realized that many times it's not until we get to the other side of a difficult season that you can look back, my mom always says this, hindsight is twenty twenty You can kind of see how that, that situation, that difficulty, that challenge made you who you are. I look back, my parents got divorced when I was seven. And I went to like, like 15 different schools in like a 24-month season. And I uh, went to several different elementary schools. Some of them just didn't let me hang out anymore. And uh, I was popular with the principal. We knew each other. <laughs> and I had to go to several different schools. I was acting out in school. But I'll be honest with you, if I didn't go to so many schools, I would never have gotten so good at making friends. And I actually believed that it was the difficult season of my childhood that actually made me who I am today. And I, I've been to schools in different school districts. I went to schools with, uh, you know, I went to schools with, like, the super low-income areas. I went to kind of middle, middle schools. I went to uh, kind of uh, social economic schools that were wealthier. And I went to schools with athletes, skaters, druggies, partiers. I, I could just t- ban people. Ska? Come on. Come on, we're in Orange County Supertones. Let's go. We went to school with all different variations of of characters. And I'll be real, my difficulty in navigating all these different environments helped me find common ground with everybody. And I actually believe that when you look back in your life, you can realize, man, it's crazy. If I didn't experience that, I never would have became... And I believe that what wisdom does is wisdom teaches you that every purpose in life, God has a, a plan for. There is a plan for every purpose season in your life. If you're taking notes, I just have four simple ideas. Number one, I believe this fundamentally that Joseph teaches us that number one, God has a plan for your life. Period. Next little part of that statement, and it's good. I know this is very elementary today, but I want to just encourage those of you that maybe you're new to God or, or church or this idea that God's real. I want you to know emphatically that not only is God real, not only is God good, It says in Hebrews 11 that God is, God is, and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You know what one of the biggest arguments in your mind will always be? Is, is God real? And if he is real, is God, is he good? Do you know that how you think about God in your head will determine the way that you talk to him? There's a lot of people that know, they believe in God. But they believe in this image of God that's probably not very scripturally accurate. They believe in a God that's angry, malicious, jealous, uh, uh, like 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 very insecure, like this God that can't really do anything spectacular or doesn't really care about the details of your life. We almost believe in a God that wants to be there for our graduation and when we die, but kind of doesn't care about the in-between seasons of life. I want you to know that not only is God real, not only is God good, but he has a plan for your life. Can I get an Amen. Everything God makes has a plan. God does not make accidents. Some of you might have grew up in a household that mom and dad said, well, we didn't plan on having you. I want you to know that God did. God didn't look down and go, oh, man, what happened? You might have surprised your parents. You didn't surprise God. And I want you to know, if you didn't have good parents, you didn't come from them. You came through your parents, but you came from God. And I believe the most important day of your life is when you realize not only was I born, but the the second day is I realized what I was born for. I was born to know God. I was born to actually find freedom in God. And when I find freedom in him, I start discovering my purpose. And when you live on purpose, you know what happens? You begin to make a big difference. I believe that Joseph shows us that not only is God real, but God is good. And God has a good plan for your life. How can you say God's good with 13 years of hell? Kind of an interesting thought, right? I don't know. It's probably like being a five-year-old kid when your parents discipline you. And you realize mom and dad's, you know, maybe putting you in time out. Or if you grew up in my era, you got the spanking spoon. Come on, spare the rod, hate the child. My parents love me. Slow crowd this morning. I got spanked, man. And it's funny because in that moment when they were spanking me for touching the stove or putting my hand up by the stove, I thought that their discipline was an indicator that they were mad at me. But what I've learned as an adult is is that oftentimes God will actually discipline us because he cares about our future. And I don't know what the season and the duration is, but I do know this, that God determines what we go through, but we determine how we go through it. Our attitude, our perspective, God chooses what, we choose how. Can I get an amen? And so we see here that not only does God, he, he, he puts Joseph in this season that he spends 13 years preparing these, these hard environments, then he has seven good years, and then all of a sudden he's in full power, and when he sees his brothers, he could have just literally that day pointed at all of them and said, everyone except Benjamin, your head's coming off. We're amputating, come on, that from your shoulders. We could have easily, he had full power. But I love the fact that when you realize that God uses all of the moments of your life to prepare you for what He's made you for. You know what Corinthians says? It says that you comfort other people with the comfort that you've received. Do you know why some of you, you're like, man, did God make this divorce happen? No, but God will use the divorce. Do you know that God, did God make my, 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 someone get sick or so and so have a tragedy? No, God does, I believe this, He's not the author of pain, but He does use pain. For his purposes. And you'll comfort other people with the comfort you've received from God. So what do you know about God, Mark? I know that this is something he loves to do. He loves it when we go places on purpose. On purpose. Joseph says, look, you thought you threw me in this pit, but it wasn't you. It was God. God let me go through 13 trying years. God let me experience injustice. God let me taste what it felt like to be at the bottom of an organization. God let me feel what it felt like to be literally a nobody. Can you imagine the adjustability of of Joseph? That he would actually get into a general in the military, his household, and not only serve in it, but learn the customs of the culture, adapt to it. You know, there's there's IQ, intelligent quotient, but there's also AQ, it's adaptability quotient. I believe that Joseph had an uh, adaptability quotient that was off the charts. And I actually believe that if you looked at Joseph's strength, it was leadership. His gift was leadership. He was organized. He was type A. I believe that when he got thrown into that pit, that was the cleanest pit. Well, watch the footage in heaven. That was the most organized pit you've ever seen. This guy was an administrator of administrators. You throw this guy in a pit, it's organized. You put him in a household to take care of it, the household is put in order. You put him in a prison. This guy's going to make sure it's the most healthy, functional prison on the earth. And ultimately, he becomes the number two most powerful person in the world. And I love it because Joseph teaches us that God has a purpose for our life, and yes, it is good. Number two, what do we learn from Joseph? We learn this: that God is always in control. Man, that's a good, that's shouting stuff. Where I kind of, if I said that in Alabama at the Rock Church, they'd be standing up off their feet. They'd be shouting me down. I'm telling you that God, mark my words, is always in control. How can you say such a thing? What about injustice in the world? There is injustice in the world. There's pain. God didn't promise us a life without pain on this side of eternity. Can we all agree on that this morning? That one of the benefits of being a Christian does not mean that you get heaven on this side of eternity. It's not happily ever after. It's happily forever after. Come on, can I get an amen? And I believe that there are things that happen in the world that we don't have answers for. And there's things that happen in the world there's pain and injustice that does hurt the heart of God and our hearts. But I want you to know that if we could fully understand God and his ways, he would no longer be God. Part of what makes him who he is is that his ways are higher. His thoughts are greater. And I want you to know this. We can't judge an eternal God based upon a temporal life. Are you following me right now? Because if you judge eternity or judge life without weighing eternity, you will never see God as a just, good God. Because many times, God doesn't reward us fully until we enter into the next life. Good spot for an amen. Come on. God is always in control. I believe that God can use some of the worst days of your life as a platform and a springboard to make you who he wants you to be. I'm telling you, I don't know I'm stepping on some toes this morning, but I believe that God can use some of the most dark moments of your life. A life of meaning is not a life without tears. And some of you are like, man, does God have a plan or a purpose for my life? Can you imagine Joseph crying out in the pit? I bet he cried until there was no more tears in his body. you imagine him being sold into slavery? Sleeping in some barracks when his father was a wealthy man? Now he's sleeping in a in this, in this household, as a servant, just a peasant, and he was the son of a great patriarch. Can you imagine going to prison for rape, and you didn't do anything except do the righteous thing? Can you imagine how unjust his life was? But yet in all of it, all of the dark moments of Joseph's life, he, he fast-forwards at 39 years of age, and he goes, guys, you thought it was your evil that brought me here. But it was God's goodness. It was God's, this is a crazy thought, that God's sovereignty is like a boomerang that can actually throw the death, I mean, life and the devil and darkness can throw your life one way, but the sovereignty of God can bend it back to a good place. Only God is qualified to take our worst moments and turn them into the foundations that we build our futures on. Truth is, my parents didn't get divorced. I don't think that was God's plan. I don't know if I, and I'm not going to get into some theological debate, but I don't think that God's desire was, you know what, I want them to get divorced so that, so that Mark's dad would have a nervous breakdown and just randomly select Idaho. So he could select Idaho to so go to a church and a second wife could get him to go to Capitol Christian Center so that he could meet the pastor's daughter. Come on, somebody. So he could marry his boss's daughter. Job security, hello. I don't think God was like, I going to make bad things happen so that I can make Mark's life good. But I think God is big enough to use the darkest moments points of our life and actually bend them in His sovereignty because God is always in control. Wish I could get a good amen up in here. I'll take a Baptist head nod if I can't get an amen. I'm telling you right now that God is always in control. And I think it's, I think it's important when we pray. I think it's good to pray when you're in a troubled situation. It says that God is our very present help in time of need. But I, would just, I think it's important that not only do we tell God our problems... I think sometimes we got to tell our problems about our God. I think many times we pray. I want you to know that the power of prayer is not what we say to God. It's in what He says back to us. And many times we get in this situation where we're like, man, God this, God that, God this. I think it's good sometimes. God told me this week, He said, Mark, stop telling me about problems and start telling your problems about me. So I started saying, you know what? We, we have all that we need that pertains to life and to godliness. My God shall supply, come on, all my needs. And I think it's important sometimes some of you that are going through a difficult season, remind your circumstances that God, he's in control. God, you're in control of my life. You're in control of my kids that are acting crazy. You're in control of my career that's on the rocks, my marriage that's in a crazy spot. God, you're in control. And I think that I think there's something so profoundly peaceful that begins to flood your heart when you realize that you aren't strong enough to derail the goodness of God. And I I I think some some of us put more faith in our ability to get our our life on off track than we do in God's grace to keep us on track. I think that if I could, if we learn anything from Joseph, it's that God is always in control. The band came up, I'm almost finished. Number three is I believe that, that Joseph teaches us this really simple idea. But purpose, the life of purpose is this, is realizing that God always has my eternal best interest at mind. Really, the, the action word of that sentence is eternal best interest at mind. Can I ask you with your kids, if they were to be... If you were to correct them less and they were less problem-some for the first 10 years of their life, but they were to screw up the next 80, 80 years following because you avoided conflict with your kids, would you rather have 10 years of peace and followed by 80 years of despair? Or would you rather have 10 years of conflict for 80 years of prosperity? I think all of us will say, no-brainer, of course, obviously, I would rather, I believe this, that God always has my eternal best interest at mind. What do you mean? I think some of you are like, well, Mark, well, we're in a really difficult season right now, we're overwhelmed, we're overworked, we're stressed out, we're, we're, we're just out, we don't have enough time, we don't have enough resources, we don't have enough, it's a crazy season, and I want you to know this, one of the greatest things you can do, if you want the peace of God to literally pour over your life is to remind yourself that God always has my eternal best interest at mind. He does. I know it's hard sometimes to believe it. That's why it's called a sacrifice of praise. You know why it's called a sacrifice of praise? It's because sometimes everything inside of you is like, I should be mad at God for how things are going. But instead of getting angry at my source and getting mad at the one that has the power to bless me, I'm going to sacrifice on the altar of, I don't know why this is happening. I don't know why I lost my job. I don't know why we're struggling right now. I don't know why I'm having difficulties in my life. But anyways, regardless of that, I'm going to offer up the fact that, God, you're still good, even when I don't see it. You know, there's two types of pilots. There's pilots that know how to fly by instruments. And there's those pilots back in the day that only knew how to fly by their sight. And I'll tell you right now, I would much rather have a pilot that's trained by the instruments. So even when it looks foggy outside, they still know how to land the plane and take the plane off the ground. I think many of us, don't you know we do is we're, we're only good at navigating life when we have clear blue skies. But the moment life gets a little bit foggy or confusing or anxious or worrisome, we start abandoning. God, you're not, you're not taking care of me. You're not getting me to where I'm supposed to go. I want you to know that God is an instrument, instrument panel trained pilot, and He doesn't need you to see where you're going to get you where you're going. That's a great thought right there. Thank you, Holy Spirit. God doesn't need us to see where we're going to get us to where we're going. We believe as a community that God always has our eternal best interest at mind. I'm grateful for the prayers that God didn't answer. God answered all my prayers when I was 18 or 19, I would have been married to someone that I'm regretting right now. If God gave me what I wanted, when I wanted it, man, come on, can you imagine? You know, it's the kindness of God to ignore some of our immature prayers. I always tell people, if God came to me when I was five years old or six years old and said anything you want in life, you know what I'd be doing right now? I'd be sitting in a castle of Lagos. And you know what's crazy? The greatest thing that happened to me at five would have been the most annoying thing that happened to me at 34. Because God doesn't just know what I need as a five-year-old. He knows what's going to satisfy me as a 50-year-old. Do you know why we can trust that God always has our eternal best interest at mind? Because he doesn't just know you where you are right now. God knows the 50-year-old version of you. The 60-year-old version of you. That's why we got to stop arguing when things don't go our way and say, but God, I wanted it this way. God says, if I gave you that now, you'd be miserable then. God knows every version of you. Young, old, and middle-aged. I think it's funny that we start telling God what we need. It's like, no, I I know you better than you know yourself. I don't just know who you are. I know who you're going to be. So because you do, God, I want you to know that I'm living this life on purpose by saying, God, I believe fundamentally that you're always, that you always have a purpose for my life and it's good. I believe that you're always in control. Third thing that I believe, come on, I I just said it, is that we believe that God always has our eternal best interest at mind. And number four, this is just foundational. This is theology 101. How do you see God accurately, Mark? I believe this. Number four is we believe that God will eventually work everything together for good. Romans 8 28, Jeremiah 29 11. I give you Bible verses for every one of these points, but I believe with all of my heart that God will eventually, if you live long enough, you'll see His sovereignty bend every moment of your life to your advantage. I lost my business. That's all right. It's not over yet. As long as you're sucking air, it's not done. Story's still being written. And I got good news, I I feel like I'm preaching to someone this morning, but God is not done with you yet. He's just getting started in Orange County. I want you to know the greatest churches in Orange County haven't even started yet. And I'm not saying that arrogantly like we're the one. I'm just saying I believe the next 20, 30, 50, 100 years, we look back and say the Jesus people days, man, Calvary Chapel Vineyard, amazing, right? But I believe that our history isn't going to be limited to what God can do in our future. I believe the greatest days of spiritual awakening in California are still ahead of us. I believe that God is strategically bringing people into this region because there's going to be a spiritual awakening that will rival any other movement, any other Azusa Street, Jesus People movement, what happened in Costa Mesa. God is going to do something. You mark my words. That there's going to be an opening of the heavens over this land. It's the media capital of the world. And I believe in our children's lifetime, God's going to do something so profound That as we know california as the media capital that propagates nasty things all over the world i believe god is going to wake this land up and we're going to our kids are going to know california as the place that spiritual awakening was sent out from all over the world you mark my words god is going to do something in our day that we would not believe even if i told you right now eye hasn't seen ear hasn't heard nor has it entered into the heart of man the great things that God has in store for Orange County. I want you to know that he is good. He has a plan for your life. That he always has your eternal best interest at mind. That he's in control. And I promise you whether it's on this side of eternity or the other, he will work all things together for good. I read a story about a guy that got martyred in the 60s. Martyred in the 60s in some rural jungle in uh, South America. And uh, he got martyred and, and, and these people killed him. And His blood actually was, they, they actually, they they st- they did this awful torture. And before he was completely dead, they threw him in a river. And this river actually, uh, this river was full of alligators and crocodiles. And he actually was literally eaten in this river by crocodiles. And his wife was actually in the country when it happened but wasn't with him. And the story goes that the wife gets on the airplane, true story, I couldn't, I just read it this week in a book I was reading. But the wife prayed on the airplane on the way home. She said, God, I don't know how, I don't know when, and I don't know why, but I do believe that good is gonna come out of this. That my husband didn't waste his life, he gave his life. You see, we don't always have the promise of coming out, but we do have the ability to still go in. God didn't tell us we were gonna come out of California, but he did say we we're gonna go into California. And this guy went into this jungle, he went into this rural place and got murdered, thrown to crocodiles. The story would go on that it was 10 years later, the law changed and uh, this unreached tribe that was just inland from where he got murdered never heard about Jesus ever. And there was a police officer that was sent in by the government to actually go into this indigenous tribe and to bring order because there was new laws that were being formed. This police officer was led to Jesus uh, two weeks before this missionary was killed. So 10 years later, this police officer who was led to Jesus 10 years earlier goes into this tribe because he knows the landscape of the culture, and here's what he knew, is that no one had permission to deliver a message to this indigenous tribe unless they had ties somehow to, to this river. This river had to actually bring in some sort of like wealth or prosperity or resources, and this river was like, they worshipped the river, it was like a river god. And this, this police officer who became converted to the missionary ends up going into this tribe, and he says, I have a message <clears throat> a message to share with this tribe. And they said, well, we're not listening to your message because we, 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 don't, we don't know, you know, you or whatever. And he said, you have to listen to me because the message I send to you actually comes because this river actually shed the blood of the man in which told me to share this message with you. And this mission, this true story, this missionary who died in the 60s, 1964, 10 years later this police officer shares with an indigenous tribe that never heard the gospel today there's multiple multiple churches in this indigenous community it was the beginning of a revival spiritually that hit this indigenous tribe because one man's so so so-called lost wasted life had no purpose but i believe that many people will be in heaven one day because of the way he spent his life Hebrews 11 says that there was some, can I read this to you? Hebrews 11, you can go there with me if you want. Hebrews 11, it's the hall of fame of the the Bible. And uh, kind of a crazy thought here, but Hebrews 11 says, uh, talks about people that went through trials. It says, uh, it's crazy, it talks about David, Samuel and the prophets. Verse 33, who went through by faith, subdued kingdoms, Worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to fight the armies of aliens. Women received their dead to life again. That's pretty awesome stuff right there. This is powerful stuff. But then it goes on in the next breath and says, but other faith-filled people, they were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trials and mockings and scourgings, yes, and chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. That's not 420, come on. They were thrown rocks at. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves, All of these having obtained a good testimony through faith. The lie of of many people in the Western world is, is that if you serve God, nothing bad will ever happen to you. That is not the promise of God. The promise of God is that God will use your life for a purpose that brings glory in the halls of eternity. This is the promise of God, is that you're with me, you're for me. Yeah, I believe that God will protect our families. I believe that God will bless our businesses. I believe that God will be good to us. But listen to me, the ultimate glory of life is to spend our life on the next. I don't know who you are today, but I just feel like the Lord wanted me to encourage you that God's purpose for your life is real and it's good. That he's in control, that he has your eternal best interest at mind, and that God works everything together for good. Jesus asked 307 questions in the Bible. He asked people 307 questions. 183 questions were asked to Jesus. And Jesus only responded to three. It's a bad ratio right there. Why God? Why God? Why God? Why God? Why God? I believe that when you look at all the options of life, it's overwhelming. But if you can't just stand in a certain place today, in this place and say, God, you're the one that brought me here. And I'm going to live this life on purpose for you. And when I look at all the options of life called cards, I'm going to think about what will please you with the way that I spend this life. I'm not asking anymore why it happened. I'm going to start asking you what for. What what do you want to do through this challenging season? How are you going to use this for your eternal glory? Would you stand your feet with me today? Thanks for listening to our podcast. Have a great week. Welcome to this week's podcast from Oceans Church in Orange County. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. For more information, please visit our website at theoceanschurch.com.